Men in ancient Greek art exercise, fight battles, pursue lovers and mourn lost friends, all without their pants on. Why? Sarah Murray All those naked Greeks Marble Medope from the Parthenon showing the battle between centaurs and lapiths at the marriage feast of Pirithus, 447-438 BCE. Courtesy the British Museum Sarah Murray is a cultural historian and archaeologist specializing in the material culture and institutions of early Greece. She is an assistant professor in the Department of Classics at the University of Toronto in Canada and the author of The Collapse of the Mycenaean Economy, Imports, Trade, and Institutions 1300-700 BC, 2017, and Male Nudity in the Greek Iron Age, Representation and Ritual Context in Aegean Societies, 2022. Edited by Sam Dresser. 3,400 words. Comments email save. Love Aeon. Support our work. Donate. There is a scene painted on a clay drinking cup by an artist called the Foundry Painter from the early 5th century BCE. True to the painter's name, the outer surface of the cup, called a kylix in ancient Greek, shows the interior of a bronze foundry where metallurgists work to cast statues and other objects. Two nearly finished statues are carefully attended to by the busy foundry workers. One statue has yet to be fitted with its head, which rests on the ground. The posture of the statue strongly suggests it will, when finished, depict an athlete. The second statue is an over-life-sized, triumphant, striding warrior, a brazen hero bristling with helmet, spear, and shield. Aside from the warrior's armor, both statues are unclothed. And they are not the only ones, three of the smiths are likewise nude. Two nude smiths, one of whom crouches down to stoke the fire, are closely tending the furnace used to heat solid metal to molten form. The melting point for bronze is approximately 900 degrees Celsius, certainly a bold environment in which to work without protective clothing. The third nudesmith is hard at work polishing the nether parts of the finished warrior statute. Other figures in the scene are wearing various sorts of clothing, a short cloth wrapped around the middle for the two clothed bronze workers or a longer flowing cloak for two larger gentlemen who appear to be spectators at, or patrons of, the shop. The scene raises many germane questions about Greek nudity. We can see right away that both statues produced by the foundry are naked, hinting at a situation in which the artistic convention for large-scale images of strong, heroic males may have been to depict them in a state of general undress. But does this art imitate life? That is to say, should the nudity of the athletic statue lead us to believe that, in ancient Greece, athletes competed totally naked? Should the nudity of the hero be taken as evidence that warriors really went to battle wearing nothing but their armor? Moreover, what explains the various states of dress and undress among the human figures in the scene? Why are some of the figures clothed and others not? To understand the scene, and many thousands more in the vast corpus of Greco-Roman art, it is necessary to confront a clear truth, the nude male body was a powerful, all-pervasive, many-faceted symbol for the ancient Greeks. Sign up to our newsletter. Updates on everything new at Aeon. Daily. Weekly. See our newsletter privacy policy here. Scholars struggle to answer these questions with certainty. 
The truth is that male nudity, as both an aesthetic and a real practice in the ancient Greek context, was many-faceted. Men in Greek art seemed to do pretty much everything without their pants on, ranging from the obvious, having sex, to the sensible, bathing and swimming, to the painful, riding horses, to the seemingly suicidal, fighting battles. The convention of nudity in Greek art cuts across apparent class differences as well as a wide range of activities, working-class nude men harvest olives and dig clay for pottery production, while heroes and gods from Greek myths and legends fight battles, pursue paramours and mourn lost friends, all all clad in armor that curiously leaves their most sensitive bits exposed. We can identify many different categories of nudity in Greek art. The normal and normative heroic and athletic Greek male is unaroused and poorly endowed, but the contemplative sophr sign, Greek for moderation and self-control, of the heroic nude is quantitatively matched by plentiful erotic scenes that adorn Greek wine-drinking and wine-serving sets, as many tourists to modern Greece have discovered upon encountering decks of naughty pottery playing cards on sale in the streets of Athens. These sexy vignettes were well suited to the context of elite drinking parties where affairs often veered toward rowdiness and raunchiness as the evening progressed. The darker, uncontrollable side of Greek erotic desire is also expressed in the guise of ithophallic satyrs, a male nature spirit with the ears and tail of a horse, and a permanent erection, cavorting in drunken pursuit of sexual prey amid richly conceived scenes of Dionysiac revelry. Greeks saw the uncontrolled, erect phallus as a source of fearsome power. This is most evident in the widespread presence at crossroads in Athens of ithophallic pillars, topped by the head of Hermes. These strange monuments were called Herms. They were thought to have an apotropaic, danger-averting, quality, serving to ward off demons and other ill portents that were especially prevalent where paths crossed. In one of the more bizarre and amusing episodes of Athenian history, the fratish playboy Alcibiades was accused of smashing the penises from these Herms while on a bender with his entourage. This horrific act of sacrilege was seen as such a disastrous affront to the gods of the city that it was cause for a criminal investigation and Alcibiades recall from his generalship of an important military expedition. The fearsome, fertile power of human reproductive parts was widely appreciated. The classic scholar Eva Coles entitled her book on Greek culture The Reign of the Phallus, 1985, an apt turn of phrase to describe the heavily and kaleidoscopically phallic visual culture that people wandering around ancient Athens would have encountered. Overall, it is clear from the Greek case that the undressed human body can and did convey many things, depending on the context. Most of the nudity in Greek art probably does not actually represent life. We are fairly confident that Greek soldiers did not go to battle naked, that craftspeople did not in fact operate their kills without protective clothing, and that farmers did not follow the plowshare and oxen through cloudy fields in their birthday suits. That is to say, ancient Greece was definitively not a nudist society. Indeed, many forms of nudity prevalent in Greek art are fairly conventional in human systems of thought and art. Nudity is often used as shorthand for dead or defeated in art from Eastern Mediterranean societies, where casualties of war or captives destined for execution most commonly appear unclothed. This convention is occasionally present in Greek evidence, too. The Iliad speaks with vivid horror about dogs and birds feasting on the exposed bodies of the dead, and a few early Greek vases show birds gnawing on the exposed groins of vanquished warriors. If the human subject is depicted as naked, it's a good bet that that human is no longer alive, or soon won't be. 
In addition to the dead or the doomed, divine figures like gods and heroes appear nude in many ancient artistic traditions, and apotropaic nudity is not uncommon in other contexts, the fearsome, fertile power of human reproductive parts and the powerful urges with which they are associated seem to have been widely appreciated as human forces to be reckoned with. Erotic nudity, moreover, is the norm wherever scenes of carnal lust form a part of popular culture. However, there is one form of nudity in Greek art that is quintessentially Greek and that does reflect a real and distinctive real-life practice. This is what the great, late art historian and etruscologist Larissa Bonfantade termed civic nudity in what remains a key paper on the topic from 1989. Bonfante described civic nudity as informal, nude athletic activity that took place on a regular basis in gymnasia. Understanding the institution of civic nudity is crucial for reconstructing the central place of the naked, young, athletic male physique as a Greek cultural ideal, so here it is worth unpacking some of the details. There are three points that should be emphasized. The first is that only citizens of a certain socioeconomic class were able and encouraged to become athletes. The second is that athletes were, in life as in art, naked throughout both training and competition. The third is that naked athletic training in the gym had an overtly erotic character. It turns out that these three points are rather intimately connected to one another, but we can begin by treating each on its own. Sports, including running, wrestling, throwing and horse racing, were very popular in ancient Greece, and competitions of all kinds highlighted festivals throughout the Greek world, including major events like the ancient Olympics and innumerable local games organized within and for smaller communities. Despite the wide popularity of sport, access to participation in athletics was formally circumscribed to a small portion of the population. We are used to thinking of athletics as a leveling force in society, the ultimate meritocratic arena wherein anyone, regardless of class or wealth, can run, throw, hit and sweat their way to fame and fortune as professional athletes. Youth sport is widespread in most modern developed societies, and mandatory gym classes provide a path to physical training and development across the socioeconomic spectrum. This state of affairs is dramatically different from the ancient Greek situation. Only Greek male citizens could train and compete in sports. Within this population, informal constraints limited participation even further. Most poorer Greeks operated close to a basic subsistence level and worked on small farms, so they did not have leisure time available for long training sessions in the gym, located far off in the city centers, let alone could they take months out of their schedule to train and compete at Olympia without incurring disastrous agricultural consequences at home. This means that vast swaths of people who lived in an ancient Greek city, women, local residents who were not born in Greece, foreigners, and poor men, were largely excluded from athletics. In turn, participation in sport was strongly emblematic of a certain political and socioeconomic in-group, relatively wealthy, Greek, citizen males. The Greeks themselves had little clear idea of how and why athletic nudity emerged. Later textual and documentary evidence plausibly identifies these sites as rural religious sanctuaries that hosted initiatory rituals for young members of the community undergoing a transition from childhood to adulthood. Initiatory ceremonies, sometimes called liminal rites, are a common feature of human societies and have thus been studied extensively by anthropologists. They generally involve a special costume, which often takes the form of complete nudity. 
Such costumes help community members recognize the special status of the initiate and the extraordinary context of the ritual as a moment outside the normal boundaries of social life. Most likely, as I have explored in my recent book on the topic, Greek nude athletic contests originated in liminal ceremonies that required young community members to visit rural sanctuaries and engage in nude physical contests to effect a socially mediated transition from childhood to adulthood. This development is of interest, but it is not particularly helpful in explaining the central role that the naked male would eventually possess in Greek art and society. Many societies, including our own, incorporate initiatory rites that involve nudity, though today these are often shaded from view in dank fraternity basements during secretive induction ceremonies, etc. The real question, then, is why and how nude contests in ancient Greece went from an obscure, secretive and evidently not very common ritual practice to a defining feature of Greek society. Working out naked generated an exclusive and visible form of hard-earned street credibility, the perfect suntan. Of the scenarios that have been put forward, the most convincing arises from nuanced sociological arguments made by the historian Paul Christessen in his book, Sport and Democracy in the Ancient and Modern Worlds, 2012. His arguments return us to a previous point about the central role that Greek athletics seem to play in reifying the elite, male, citizen population within communities. Greek city-states like Athens and Sparta relied, to some extent, on the cohesiveness of their male citizen cohorts, who constituted core political and military bodies. Without the proper functioning of these cohorts, the states would have faced serious existential problems. According to Christessen's model, the practice of regular nude exercise together in the gym enhanced group coherence among these men, extending bonds cemented in youth initiatory contexts forward throughout the lives of adult citizens. Crucially, the practice of working out totally naked also generated a powerfully exclusive and highly visible form of hard-earned street credibility, the perfect suntan. If only citizen males of a certain socioeconomic class were regularly permitted and encouraged to work out naked, it follows that this group would likewise sport an otherwise difficult to achieve and distinctive tan unavailable to the farmer who spent long days doing menial labor under the hot sun wearing clothing conducive to safety and comfort. An interesting glimpse into the sociology of the tanned body in Greek gym culture is provided by some relevant vocabulary words, the adjective melampigos, dark-rumped, is used to describe privileged citizens, while leukopigos, white-rumped, connotes weakness, a lack of manhood, and cowardice. According to this sociological model, the ideal of the nude male as model citizen and artistic paragon arose from a situation in which the best people in the community were visually marked specifically because of what they looked like naked. Christessen's model is powerfully logical, but it still doesn't explain everything. Returning to the foundry cup, the equipment hanging above the two large, clothed figures who frame and observe workers finishing the warrior statue includes little bottles, araballoi, of oil and strigils, or tools athletes use to scrape oil, mud and sweat from their bodies following a workout. These visual clues tell us that the figures are passing by the foundry on their way to the gymnasium. If nudity is primarily a marker of status, then, it is perplexing to see that the foundry painter chose to depict the metal workers in various states of undress, while the citizen-athletes are clothed. What could be going on here? Could the vase painter be making some kind of claim to citizen status for the craftspeople, a group of which the painter would also have been a part? Or was the inversion supposed to be funny, a visual joke to be consumed by drunk, upper-class participants in a symposium, a fancy drinking party? 
scholars remain at a loss to explain such conundrums, and it is unlikely that sure answers will emerge, given the complexity and sophistication of Greek visual culture. Still, it is valid to assert that class distinctions and nudity were tightly intertwined in ancient society. Thank <laughs> you.